Well, this time of year, we always like to stop and take a few moments and think about Jesus' birth. And uh, we started a series about three weeks ago called Family Christmas. And we've been talking about um, Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, and how he came to earth in the context of a family. How he... um, how he came to how he came through a family line, how he came um, inside of a family unit, and then how today Jesus' family is still here. It's called the church, and you and I gather this morning together as Jesus' family, and that that is a huge and a profound truth. The greatest opportunity in the world is to be part of Jesus' family. So together today we gather as Jesus' family. So this morning I want to give a great big Merry Christmas to everybody, not Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Because that's what the Christmas season is about. You know, as Jesus' family we come to celebrate Jesus' birth and if you take Christ out of Christmas, basically you just have a consumer's holiday. And uh, I don't know why we tried to shift away from Merry Christmas into Happy Holidays as if there were so many amazing holidays in December other than Christmas. You know, it's just loaded with them. So I, I thought I'd take a minute and go on the Internet and look, because, you know, everything on the Internet's true, <laughs> and see what other great holidays we have in December other than Christmas. And I don't know if you know this or not, but December 2nd is a Fritter Day. And I think that's too often overlooked. Every, everybody in here celebrate Fritter Day uh, on December 2nd? We missed that one. December 5th is National Ninja Day. You probably didn't see that coming. You didn't see it coming or it wouldn't be Ninja Day. It snuck up on you. Probably didn't get that one either. December 16th is Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Now see, there's a holiday that I think should get some traction. Because you can suck the chocolate off anything and leave the rest and it's still good, right? December 18th is National Wear a Plunger on Your Head Day. Totally good reason to change Merry Christmas to Happy Holidays right there. And for those Seinfeld fans, we've got the 23rd Festivus. Only a few of you will get that. But as for us, as Jesus' family, this is the day we gather to celebrate Jesus' birth. Since Jesus is the reason for the celebration... I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning about Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth was supernatural. Now, why is that important? Why does that matter? Why did Jesus have to be born from a virgin rather than from any other woman? Why does the Bible prophesy that he would be born in Bethlehem hundreds of years before he actually was? Why did Isaiah say Jesus would be born in human flesh? Now, it's not a miracle that you and I are human, but it is a miracle that God was. That's a miracle. Why did the Bible prophesy that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David? There are a lot of good answers to those questions, but I want to focus for the next few minutes on just one of them. These things happened supernaturally because all supernatural things have one thing in common. They tell us something about God. Beyond the effect of the miracle, there is a message 
buried deep inside each miracle that echoes in our soul. Miracles are messages. Miracles are signs. And these signs all say the same thing. They say this, God is here. Miracles are God's fingerprints. Miracles show you that God has been active, that he's been involved, that he's been present. And miracles say the same thing to us. God is here. God is with us. See, Jesus' birth was a miracle, and it had to be a miracle because it was a sign. And in that sign, there was a message to you and I that says, God is with us. There's a way to God, and God loves us, and God's with us. And the, the more I grow in Christ, the more miracles appear to me to be a means to an end and not the actual end themselves. In other words, they're worth more than their face value. So if you have a need of some kind and God supernaturally meets that need, you consume it and you're going to have a need again. If you're sick in your body and God supernaturally heals you, that's not, that's not in any way uh, necessarily permanent. You're going you're to grow older and die one day anyway. But inside that miracle beyond the effect, that it has in your life and mine, there is a message inside of it. A miracle tells us something. They tell us something eternal, and they tell us something profound. They tell us that the Christmas promise is still true. Emmanuel, God with us. So in the Old Testament, we were told in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, we were introduced to this God person that the Bible said would be called Emmanuel. Isaiah says, therefore the Lord himself will give you, here it is, a sign, a miracle. And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, that's the miracle, and will call him, here's the message, Emmanuel. God is with us. You fast forward to the New Testament, you arrive at the moment of Jesus' birth, and in Matthew 1, we hear the same thing again. He's Emmanuel in the Old Testament. He's Emmanuel at his birth. All this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then after Jesus lived his earthly life, after he was crucified, after he rose from the dead... He finds himself among his disciples. And the last verse of the book of Matthew, when Jesus was getting near his ascension, and he was going to leave the earth forever, and he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the last verse of Matthew, Matthew 28, 20, says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Old Testament, he's Emmanuel, God with us. At his birth, he's Emmanuel, God with us. After his resurrection, he's Emmanuel. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? He's trying to say, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm present. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a faint memory in some person's past. I'm not a figure in history. I'm a living reality who had every intention of being with you from creation, every intention of being with you through the New Testament, and every intention of being with you through the end, and then every intention of being with you for eternity. Now that is eternal.
That is eternal. So Christmas is a time when we celebrate the miracles of God. Because those miracles, including, including Jesus' birth, tell us something very important. And that's that God's with us. Every time God does something supernatural in your life, it speaks deep to your soul. And it is a reminder, wait a minute. I'm not working on this by myself. I'm not alone. God's here. Now this morning, Pastor Clark is coming. And he's going to share a story with you. From one of our uh, missions teams, our, we had a mission team go to Indonesia uh, just a, several weeks ago. And when Pastor Clark and the team came home, they told a story of how God miraculously moved in their missions team in Indonesia. By the way, the most densely populated Muslim nation on earth. By the way, the fourth largest populated nation on earth. And inside their team, here's what I just want you to see. This story, first off, is way too good not to tell. It's a powerful story that our whole church family needs to hear. Number two, it is a perfect picture of Emmanuel. And so Pastor Clark's going to share with you a great story from Indonesia. We had an incredible trip to Indonesia. I wanted to share with you uh, really two stories out of that trip that, that tie together to me. As you, as you listen to them, I think at the end they really, they really converge. Um, we found out a couple of days before we left to go to Indonesia that uh, the, the local police department in the town of Sebolga, where we were going to be working primarily, they, they re required, they heard a team was coming from the U.S., and they required that we register our team with them. Uh, we found out later there had never been an American missions team uh, go to this province in Indonesia before. So um, registering with them required that we, we sent copies of our passport ahead. So we did that. And uh, our missionary, Chris Duncan, he later told us, he said, you know, they, the police there didn't know what to do with that when, when, when I went down and showed them the passports. So they created a new tax, and he called it the Kingwood tax. We had to pay a tax to have the right to come into that city. So, you know, corruption abounds. But uh, at any rate, we, uh, we made the trip. We got to Sebolga. And one, one of the things that happened there about the second day of the trip, uh, Chris, our missionary, said to me, he said, Corp, something really amazing has happened. Um, he said the, the governor of this province, uh, Governor Satuming, who is the governor over a province that is roughly the size of the state of Wyoming. He said he has heard, because we registered the team in Sebolga, word got to him that an American missions team was coming to this province. So he has asked, this was on a Monday, he said he has asked if uh, our leaders of the team could come and, and meet him at the governor's mansion. And I was just sort of blown away. I thought, what an opportunity. So we, so we went that next day. We, we drove to his mansion, and, you know, there were guards and, uh, you know, there was a staff of people helping and serving and opening the doors and all of those things, everything you would expect when you go to the home of someone really, really important. 
so we, we got inside. We sat in this sort of outer room, waiting room. Finally, you know, the governor's people came out and summoned us into the, to the inner room, and we sat down around this table. And uh, the governor spoke a little bit of English, enough to converse with us, so he made some small talk with us. We were all sitting there kind of on our P's and Q's trying to behave and not say the wrong thing. Uh, he, he then brought out uh, some fruit. Now, I just have to tell you this. This is not a spiritual point in any way, but they have a fruit in Indonesia called durian. And uh, durian is something that Indonesians love, and I cannot understand possibly any reason why that would be true. Um, I'm, durian is about the size and shape of a coconut, but it's got spikes all around it. So I'm wondering about the first person that decided it'd be a good idea to pop one of these open and, and try it. But um, anyway, having, having tried durian once with, with a couple of our team members, we had decided it had the texture of a banana and the flavor of an onion. So that's a bunion, right? That, that's about how it, I enjoyed it. Um, so anyway, we're sitting there now with the governor. And the governor uh, brings out, he has his staff bring out durian. And, and he says to our missionary, Chris, he says, you like durian? And Chris lies. He says, Yes. So then we all got one. I mean, our own personal durian in front of us, and we had to sit there and eat it. And I thought, you know, in my life, I haven't sacrificed much for Jesus, but I'm about to eat this, and I hope this counts. So we did. And we, we sat through that meeting and, and visited with the governor. Didn't know, you know, it was kind of a formal meeting. We didn't, didn't really know how we did or if we impressed him or or if we were of any help to the missionary at all. But at the end of the meeting, the governor gets up and says, uh, this was on a Tuesday, he said, I would like for your whole team to come and have dinner with me on Thursday. And uh, so we were sort of blown away at that. Um, now, let me, let me jump to story number two, and we'll come back to that one. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, we had planned to uh, take part of our team onto a different work site. We, we went with the idea of building two tabernacles. We built one in the city of uh, Utagodang, and um, we spent most of the week there, had almost all of our team there the entire week, and, and built, a, built a tabernacle and had a wonderful experience in that, in that village. But we took part of our team uh, up a mountain, and it took about three hours to get to the village of Paragaringen. And the, the idea in Paragaringen was we wanted to, to really plant a church where there was no church, where there was no evangelical uh, witness with a permanent facility. And so this was exciting to us. We, we had planned this. We had met the young pastor uh, that God had, had sent to that area to start uh, witnessing to people and sharing with them. And he actually had a, a, a church of about 30 believers and all of them had been saved since July. That's when he started preaching up on this mountain. So we were excited. The church had secured a small piece of land. We went up there. We were going to build a tabernacle on that land. The, the, uh, the materials were there when we arrived. And we took, you know, just kind of a task force. Uh, Larry Walker, who is a retired missionary here in our church and has built dozens and dozens and dozens of these tabernacles, he, he helped lead that team. Wayne Shook was on that team. And I was there and our missionaries so we, we, we were ready to go. We were excited. We were going to stay up there, you know, one, two days and one night and get that tabernacle up and rejoice with those people. That was the plan. But it didn't work out the way we had planned. 
we had just finished constructing the trusses, and we were about to lift the trusses, and um, off the top of the mountain rides this man on his motorcycle. And um, I, I don't know how to speak Indonesian, but I didn't need much translation to what he was saying. He was screaming and waving the arm that he wasn't steering the motorcycle with as he drove, angry, and we found out later what he was saying was, there won't be a church on this mountain. There won't be a church on this mountain. We came to find out later that this man was the son of, of a woman who had given her heart to Christ through this pastor uh, witnessing and sharing and beginning to plant a church on this mountain. So his mom had been the landowner, and his mom had sold the land to the church. This son obviously was not a Christian and did not want that church to be built there. We, um, we kind of regrouped at that point. The man was very angry. We didn't know what he was capable of, if he had a machete or a, or a club or worse. So um, the missionary and, and the local folks that we were working with said, Let, let's, let's move up to one of the houses of, of a church member and let's just talk this thing out. Let's figure out what we're going to do. So we did. We, we, we vacated the site. We went to the home of a church member. And uh, we had brought along, because we knew we were going to be up there overnight, we had brought along some freeze-dried camping food. I got this idea from Pastor Jeremy, uh, who uses it on his edge uh, backpacking retreats. So we took this freeze-dried food, and I asked the, the lady of the house, could we boil water? So they built the fire, and we, we were boiling water, getting ready to have our freeze-dried spaghetti for lunch while we waited all, for all of this to play out. At the same time... Uh, the, the, the people who lived there, they went out into their garden. They started picking vegetables. They were rinsing rice that they had grown in their field. So they were preparing a meal, and ironically, they were able to get their meal done quicker than we were able to boil water. Uh, but I think it, we may have a picture coming up here where you can kind of see how we ate around the table with, uh, with these folks in their home. They spread a colorful rug on the floor. There was no furniture uh, in any of the rooms in the house. But they spread this colorful rug, and you can kind of see, well, you can see five-sixths of it anyway. You can see the way that we ate. They put all the food out in the middle, and they put their food, and eventually we put our freeze-dried spaghetti out there, which they loved. They were fascinated by that. We enjoyed their food a great deal, and we just fellowshiped together. And, and we just talked and shared, and, and uh, you know, they, they have an expression in Indonesia that uh, really is hard for Americans to understand or accept. But the expression is, um, it doesn't matter how much we accomplish as long as we're together. Wow. That's, uh, that's kind of hard to take as an American, isn't it? Ours would be the opposite, wouldn't it? Doesn't matter if we're together as long as we get something accomplished would be how we act. But that's, that's, the, that's their philosophy. So we sat and enjoyed uh, that meal. And, and it, was like a, it was like a Thanksgiving meal with them, like the the, you know, the Indians and the Europeans sitting together and sharing their, their bounty. It was just wonderful. But we knew that uh, we were waiting on some, some of the leaders in that area to arrive and to talk out the situation that we were in with the, with the church building. Um, these, these guys showed up. The missionary began to talk with them, talk with the pastor. And uh, I think if you go to that next slide, that, that was the board meeting right there to decide what are we going to do uh, some of the district officials were, were in that, the missionaries there in the red bandana. And um, after a little while, they talked, and they turned around and they explained to us first in English and then to uh, the church, which had assembled, the whole church had now assembled in this house. 
and they uh, shared with them, shared with us and with them, that um, we were not going to build the church that day. And it wasn't like we had an extra day that we could go build it, you know, later in the week. But it wasn't going to be built that day, which means Kingwood wasn't going to get to build it. Um, now, i got to be honest. I'm an American. Most of you are. Uh, initially, that upset me because I wanted to build a church up there. And, and I wanted to feel like we had accomplished something to, to help and to bless these people. But my, my sense of disappointment really changed over the next few minutes as we saw, and Wayne and Larry, my witnesses, these people began to wail and to cry and to lay on the floor and, and just weep over the sense of, of loss and, and despair that they had as if they would never get to have the church that they had prayed for. You see, they thought that we were an answer to prayer coming up that mountain to be with them. Um, and, and so they felt like they would never get the church that, that had been uh, given to them by God. Um, to be honest, we probably spent 15 or 20 minutes just crying with them because we, we didn't know how to formulate a response. We didn't know what to say to them. We didn't know how to comfort them. So we just cried with them, which, which isn't a bad idea when you're with somebody that's grieving. But after, after a little bit of time, our team members and, and the missionaries that were there, one by one, we just felt the Lord begin to speak to us and begin to share with us just little thoughts that we could share with them to encourage them. And so the Spirit began to move, and we, we began to share through, through translation to them. And, um, and the mood in the room began to lift. The burden and the heaviness uh, began to lift. And by the time we said our goodbyes and, and left to go back down that mountain, the, the peace of God had washed over that place. We know that church will be built another day. It, it just wouldn't be built that day. They understood that as, as we left. But we also prayed with them that, that that man who had stopped the construction that day, that he would come to Christ and that the testimony would be greater than if we had built the church against his wishes. So we believed that. And we prayed that, and then we began the trek back down the mountain. Um, you know, it, it was a very uh, emotionally uh, challenging moment for, for those on our team who were up there. Now, let me jump back to the first story and, and, and see how those two, two tie together. We, uh, that was Wednesday. Thursday, after we finished working in Utagodang, we, we went to the banquet with the governor. And... Um, Again, didn't know what to expect. He had told us that he wasn't going to have it at his mansion. He was going to have it at a restaurant. So he rented out this whole restaurant, which was right on the coast of the Indian Ocean. Beautiful setting for a team dinner. And he invited us uh, to what, what we didn't realize was actually going to be a feast. It was going to be a feast. I think we've got a picture of the feast. There's Balaji. Balaji ate most of the food, and the rest of it we shared. Um, it was really a neat experience. We, we came in, we were seated, and, um, you know, the governor hadn't arrived yet. Everything was sort of scheduled out, and then he pulled up with his entourage, and, and he came in, and we kind of had this hail to the chief moment as the governor uh, walked in. And uh, I, I got to sit next to the governor at the dinner, which, uh, which was a little bit of a daunting thing for me. I mean, how do you make conversation with a guy like this? Uh, but as the night went on, uh, I really, really enjoyed that time, and our team was 
pleasantly surprised by what the governor had planned for us that night. You see, he didn't just invite us to some formal state dinner. He actually crafted an evening of, of celebration and entertainment for our team. He, he brought in professional musicians and singers. What was really funny to me, these singers, they wanted to sing you know, songs in English, American songs that we would know. So apparently all they have access to is uh, 80s loves, love music. Um, they, they did quite a bit of that. And we smiled and laughed and enjoyed it. They, did, uh, they invited us to do karaoke. They, uh, they had some dancing. Now, you won't see pictures of these things because I'm trying to protect the innocent. Um, but, you know, I'm sitting next to the governor. Now I'm really glad I'm next to him because I'm not going to get drafted to do any of these things. But I'm sitting next to him, and he's leaning back, got his hands behind his head with a big grin on his face and just enjoying watching us enjoy this, this banquet. It was really just a, a profound moment. And as if it could get any better, um, he, uh, he, he got up and went to the microphone, and he said, I, I want to sing a song for you, and I want my staff to come and help me. So his staff got up behind him, 10 or 12 people, and I don't know what the song was, but it was a praise song. You see, the governor of uh, that province was a believer, And it's remarkable to me, we learned this in our first visit with him uh, and shared that with the team, but on this night, it really came out. In a a place that was over 95% non-Christian, this this believer was elected to be the governor of the province. I asked him at dinner that night, I said, "How, how did you know that you were supposed to run for office? And he said, someone gave me a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit, and I read it, and he said, then I realized I could actually hear what God was saying to me, and he told me to run for governor, and I did, and so he was on the second year of a five-year term, and he, and he shared with me that he believed he would, he would have two terms, he would, he would win re-election, and he said, I'm going to make a difference for, for God in this province, and I thought, wow, how God has positioned him and given him favor, and uh, even though he'll have to use wisdom in, in the way that he does that, uh, God has really given him incredible favor. So he gets up, he sings a praise song, he's lifting his hands, all the staff behind him, I don't know if they were Christians or that was just their boss, but they were raising their hands too and worshiping God, and uh, it was just a very, very, a very blessed time. Um, and then he, um, he did something that I think was a, was a great blessing to our missionaries, to, to the Duncans and to the Wolners, he, he says to them, he says, this province is yours. This province is yours. Now think about the, the, the significance of that. Our team would get on a plane and go home, but the Duncans and the Wolners, who are the only American missionaries in the Assemblies of God on, on an island of 47 million people, they have now been given the keys to the province of Tapanulitenga by the governor. Just incredible. The, the governor closed with uh, one other thing that I thought was really profound, and um, I, I'm just going to show it to you. They have a tradition in uh, Tapanuli Tenga. It's, it's, a, it's a Batak culture. And that's not a Star Trek Next Generation character. That's, that's what their tribe is, the Bataks. And so we had been around Bataks all week, and he said... Uh, he said, tonight, to our team, he said, we 
we consider you to be a part of our family. And he said, when we, when we receive one in, someone into our family, let me see if I can do this. He said, we robe you. We give you what's called an ulos. This is an ulos. And this means that we are batak. Wayne, we are batak. And you know what? We left part of our heart there. But they invited us into uh, their family. They opened the doors uh, to that province for the gospel to be preached. And, and I had this thought, because really in about 48 hours, we, we had an incredible low and in, an incredible high. And as I tried to reflect on that and process it, I realized that, that the two events were really one that God's favor outweighs the adversity and the opposition. I mean, the, the greatest thing the enemy can throw at you, God's presence, his nearness, and his favor outweigh it, and they overcome it. So one little pipsqueak on the top of a mountain ran us off from building a church, but then the governor said, you got the whole province. Isn't that great? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Isn't that incredible? God with us, Emmanuel. You know, the Duncan family who are missionaries there, who were the first Assembly of God missionaries on that entire island of 47 million people. Um, I had an opportunity to hear their story. When they got married, and then they became Christians. They weren't even Christians when they were married, and they got saved after they became, were husband and wife. And uh, then they felt a call to missions. So because they didn't know how that worked or what they were supposed to do, they had a yard sale and just sold everything in their house. And said, God called us to be missionaries, so we're going to be missionaries. And they had never filled out an application to be a missionary. They had never been approved to be missionaries. They, had ne- they didn't know what they're doing. They just said, that's what God wants to be missionaries, so we be missionaries. And five years later, they actually became missionaries. I don't know wh- what they sat on for five years. But five years later, they became missionaries. But don't you think in that process of time, and, and then they said, when... The uh, Assemblies of God asked them, where do you want to go in the world? And they said, where do you need us? And they said, Indonesia. Don't you think anywhere in all those years, the thought ever crossed their mind? Did God really call us? Is this really where we're supposed to be? Are things really going to work out? Are we really going to make a difference? And then they walk in to a restaurant where the governor sits and he says, this province is yours. Emmanuel. God has every intention to be with you. And so this morning, we want to kind of pull this service together and celebrate communion. To share communion. So I'm going to ask our servers if you would come and receive the elements and find your place. What would Christmas be I want you to think about this as we're preparing. What would Christmas be without communion? Jesus would be born, but without a sacrificial death, it's just another holiday. On the other hand, what would communion be without Christmas? Without the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus... What would communion be if he were never born? He could never die. It would be just another meal. But you take the birth of Christ and the death of Christ.
He came to die. He came to show us in the most powerful way imaginable. I am with you. And so not only does Christ's birth mean I am with you, Christ's death means I am with you. Emmanuel. After resurrection, he told his disciples and all of us, I will be with you always. And so this morning, we're going to receive the communion elements together. And I'll give you instructions in a moment on how to do it. As we do, I want you to think about Christ's presence in your life. Not the truth that He once existed, but the truth that He now exists. Not the truth that He once acted, but the truth that He is acting in your life now. He's present. He's here. And after we receive communion, we'll have a time of prayer. And this Christmas, if you have a need, a physical need, a medical need, a financial need, you have a decision that you have to make that's weighing heavy on you. And you know right after the holidays it'll be there. Or maybe you have relationship with family members and you know there are going to be some, some difficulties. Before you leave this place, I want to pray with you. Some of you, this is a reminder to you that you lost a loved one. Christmas without someone you love is a reminder. And if that's true for you, well, today we just want to pray with you and remind you, Emmanuel. There are two powerful words that I said at the beginning of this message. When you leave today, if you can't remember anything else that happened this morning, I want you to remember two words. are never alone because he's a man so this morning just sort of in family family fashion family style there are ushers along uh, the front our board are here to serve you there are folks uh, all around the balcony with the communion elements and what I'd like for you to do is just to find the find the person closest to you and go and receive the cup and the bread and make your way back to your seat. And then when you do, we'll share communion as a family together. So would you all stand with me this morning? There are all along the back wall, there are ushers there for those of you that are closer to the back. Those of you closer to the front, you can come this way. Go and find the communion elements.
You know, Clark, when you told that story about being on the mountain with that little church of 30 people who had just been saved for about three or four months, and they spread a carpet on the ground, and you all sat around it on the floor, and you shared that meal. What a really neat moment, considering that six months before that, that meal would have been impossible. You gathered on that carpet, you gathered at that table underneath the banner of Christ. What a powerful. And I thought in our own way this morning, we gather together here in this place as Jesus' family. It was Jesus' family you gathered with. Just because you had only met them and just because they had only been believers three or four months changes nothing. They're Jesus' family. And this morning we gather together as Jesus' family. And we celebrate His birth. And we celebrate the forgiveness and the wholeness and the peace that He offers us in Christ. And we celebrate that in communion. When Jesus was on His way to the cross, He shared the last supper with His disciples. He said, this is my body. Take it, and every time that you take it, remember me. It was broken for you, wounded, bruised, hurt, crucified, sacrificed for you. Every time you take it, remember me. So Lord, this morning we thank you for the broken body of Jesus. We thank you for the bread that symbolizes the bread of life. Because you had death, we have life. Because you sacrificed, we are blessed. Because you went through death, we have abundant life. Your word says you came to give us. So this morning we celebrate the broken body of Christ. We receive it, Lord, with joy into our body and our being. In Jesus' name. You can take the bread. same way the Bible says that he took the cup he said this cup is forgiveness of sin washes away every evil thought you ever had forgives you for every word you ever spoke that you shouldn't have forgives you for every action you've ever done that was sinful washes away every evil thing out of your life set you in right relationship with God the blood of Jesus washes away the sins of the world so Lord this morning we're thankful for the blood of Christ we're thankful today that you poured out yourself you emptied yourself as Paul said like a drink offering being poured away Lord we thank you today for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin God I thank you for forgiveness this morning we receive this cup with joy Jesus' name. You can take the cup. I'm going to ask for a moment if our prayer team would come and our ushers are coming if you want to hand your cup to them. Prayer team, would you stand and come this morning? Join our prayer team.
In, in just a moment, we have a special presentation to make, and we're going to receive our offering, and then we'll dismiss. But before we do that, I want everyone who has a need, a physical need, a relationship that's going to be difficult this Christmas, have a decision you have to make you have the sickness in your body maybe this is the first Christmas you're facing without that loved one I want to ask you to come and let the prayer team agree with you in prayer and I don't want you just to know when you leave this place that he's Emmanuel God with me I want you to feel when you leave this place he's Emmanuel God with me God's with you God's with you Lord, I thank you today for this moment. I thank you for the opportunity to join with your family in prayer. Lord, there are so many relatives we're going to meet who don't know you yet. So many relatives we'll celebrate Christmas with that don't have the same celebration that we had this morning or that our missions team had in Indonesia. Lord, help us. Help us through this hour. Help us through this moment. Lord, help us through this holiday. Help us to be connected to you in a way that receives your presence in our life. Lord, I believe you have divine appointments in this room. You are going to touch and minister and heal and deliver and give answers. You're going to grant wisdom. You're going to grant clarity. You're going to encourage. You're going to bless. And I believe you've set this moment apart for that because you are Emmanuel. You're not only there, you're here. You are here now. I believe you for it. In Jesus' mighty name.